Welcome to Bible Theory Podcast, hosted by the Chicano Knox. Finally, a podcast about the church for the church. Bible Theory is for the streets, homie. This ain't your boy scout, choir boy type of podcast. This is for the Vato Locos who have been saved by the blood of Christ, homie. Coming straight out of Geneva. Donde están mis soldados reformados? Bienvenido a la Teoria de la Biblia podcast con el Chicano Knox. You are now entering into the reform state of mind, homie. Where we study ecclesiology and take it to the streets, homie. Coming from that five solas. Coming from that reformed underground railroad, homie. Coming from that West West 1646, Hey, what's going on? This is your boy, the Chicano Knox, uh, coming live and direct from the Reform Underground Studios, aka the Scriptorium. You know, one night I was uh, studying church history, and I come to discover one of my favorite areas of church history is the Celtic. Christianity from Ireland and Scotland and how those guys would copy the scriptures and make manuscripts all day in a little cell. And they will call that little cell a scriptorium where they copy the scriptures and, and, and stuff like that. So I was like, man, that's tight. I got to jack that. So I stole that. And this is the area where I, I write stuff and I do interviews. So this is a scriptorium. So once again, thank you so much for joining me. You know what this show is. It's about the ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And we talk to like authors and theologians and missionaries, you know, people on the ground as well, um, keeping the pulse of the church, what's going on today. So we, we don't only talk about theology and everything up here, but we, we like to bring it to the streets because I want Bible theory, uh, you know, you know what it is. The Bible theory is a gateway drug to the reform world, to the higher, uh, you know, to, to the greater, uh, you know, exposure of the reform world. Because, you know, people in the streets, they're not going to read an R.C. Sproul book. They're, they're, they're not going to read a John MacArthur or hear a John MacArthur sermon, you know, sermon. They're, they're dead in sin. So uh, I know what they think. Like, I used to be like them. So I want Bible theory to be an introduction to the church because many people have preconceptions about the church. They're like, man, I ain't going to church. That's where all the Bible thumpers are, are at. You know what I mean? Or church, I don't need church. You know what I mean? And there's many people out there that think like that. And it's like, that's a bad view of the church. That's a wrong view of the church. You don't even know what church is, right? So that's why this show exists. So uh, real quick, I, I did some analytics and I, um, I'm very thankful for all my Bible theories and all my followers out there in Brazil. So I got a bunch of listeners down there in Brazil. So thank you so much for supporting me and listening to me on all the way from Rio de Janeiro. So thank you so much for everybody down there in Brazil. I heard Joe Beaky went down in Brazil recently. Um, I hear great reports from the church in Brazil. Um, the reform understanding and the faith is definitely growing and growing in Brazil, according to what Joe Beaky reported recently. So thank you so much for that. Anyways, we have a special, um, you know, thing going on right now. I have a special guest. I have uh, Pastor Eric Raymond from New England area uh, wrote a book called He Is Not Ashamed. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about his book, kind of like a hashtag review as well. 
so I'm going to pass the mic over. So, Pastor Eric, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk about not only Christ, the, the love that he has for us, um, but also to be talking about your book. Well, for those who don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit, a little bit about who you are, what you do, and maybe throw in a few fun facts about yourself, uh, about you, your family, or your hobbies, or whatever. But anyways, the floor is yours, man. All right, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's good to good to meet you, and uh, talk with you, and appreciate your your heart and how you want to uh, make the gospel known and introduce people to good solid theology and good books and and reach people that aren't yet walking with christ so that's encouraging brother I'm, i appreciate that um yeah so my name is eric raymond i'm a pastor in a town called watertown it's a town that borders boston um on the river um up so native new englander grew up here uh but i didn't um i didn't know the gospel growing up i wasn't a I wasn't a christian wasn't a christian home it wasn't until I joined the military and uh, was actually in the Midwest that I heard the gospel for the first time, became a Christian there in the service. My wife's from the South, and we actually met in the military. I got married at a very young age, at 18, uh, and the Lord saved us both in the military, and then the Lord has blessed us with six kids. Uh, and We've been married uh, just about 28 years now, and six kids and one grandchild, three boys, three girls, and a little baby girl grandchild so yeah lord's really blessed us with a wonderful family we love him he's been so faithful for so many so many years and uh, it's been so good to us despite our sin our hard hearts rebellion and he's just so, such a good and gracious god um, so i just remember when i became a christian um I, I couldn't believe the gospel in a sense like i i wanted to believe it but i couldn't believe it it seemed like there should be some fine print or something that uh would would undermine it and I just remember when I just kept reading the Bible and people were showing me the, what the gospel was. I'm reading the scriptures and I just couldn't stop saying things like, if this was true, then everything changes. He gets everything. Uh, I'll, I'll serve him with all I got. And so that really at the beginning was just like, I want to, I want to know the Bible. I want to tell people about it. And it was, you know, several years later that it seemed like preaching and ministry was the direction to go. And so I, you know, got involved with uh, a church, did an internship, got training, preaching in prisons, doing different things like that. And uh, eventually the Lord called me into ministry full time and just been so grateful for the opportunity to serve him uh, as a pastor, planting churches, working to revitalize churches and just being a regular pastor and trying to write things that would help the church build people up and spread the gospel forward. So, yeah, that's that's really um, that's kind of a gist of it. I love my family, love the church. I love to, to work for Christ and to see the gospel go forward and just encourage other pastors and other churches. Amen, man. That's what it is. Sometimes it yeah. reminds me of the one um, article that Tim Challies wrote on his blog, talked about um, plotting along for the kingdom. Being yeah. Sometimes we get the temptation to try to be rock stars for Jesus. We want to be on top. We want to be John the Baptist. And it's, and it's like, I appreciate the zeal. You know, that's what's up. But at the same time, we have to be okay. I think he was talking about we have to be okay with the notion of it's okay to be ordinary. It's okay just to go plant churches. It's okay to go go change a diaper for the kingdom of God. And if that's all you do is plant churches and change diapers, 
do it to the glory of God because that's building the kingdom and that's and that's what God wants is, is, is building the kingdom be faithful in what he's given you so you know not everybody's meant to be John the Baptist um, being martyred or, or be a rock star you know what I mean like RC Sproul or something like that but planning churches going out to do prison ministry street preaching stuff like that changing diapers all those things are just like one of those ideas about plodding along yeah. Under the under the radar, you know what I mean? Kind of like a one of those football teams that are entering the playoffs and they're, they're like under the radar teams. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's very similar to us. Like we should not seek riches and fame and, and celebrity status and, and all those things. So God wants us to be humble and to plod along. And it's okay to not be a rock star in the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? It's okay. To, it's okay. You know what I mean? So everybody out there listening, it's all right. If no one knows your name, but you're out there reaching the prisoners, the, the juvenile halls, the DLCs. It's okay. No one knows. No one knows your name, but it's okay. There's someone who knows your name and that's Jesus. Amen. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, so real quick, you wrote a book um, and it, he is not ashamed. So what, what I like to do is when I talk to authors sometimes is to get the origin story about the book, you know, like <clears throat> some of the things that led, that led up to it. Maybe you could explain some of the thought processes, the maybe a couple events or some yeah. Bible scripture or something that encouraged you. So take us back there. Take us to the origin story of the book. Yeah, so I'd say, you know, big, big picture would be after becoming a Christian, I didn't, I mean, I didn't feel like I really fit in. Um, I was trying to, I mean, everything from, you know, knowing the Bible to the way I dressed to the way I acted. I mean, it didn't seem like it was like, uh, I, I didn't feel like I, I knew what I was doing, you know, and I mean, kind of felt like I was faking it or something. Like I loved the Lord, but I was like, I didn't know if, if he would still love me, you know, I mean, like maybe he, he loved me on the day of my conversion, but I don't know about the time after that. Um, and so it was it was this this continual feeling of like, how do I fit in around here? What you know, everybody seemed like they had it together. I didn't. So that was that's like one big picture thing. And through just studying the Bible and beginning to become more familiar with the gospel and just the basics of the Christian faith. I uh, just really found out that, like, as Jesus says, I didn't come to call the the, the righteous, but the unrighteous, right? A, a physician doesn't come for the, to heal those who are well, but the sick. And more and more just seeing that that's those are the types of people that Jesus identified with. And I just had to keep convincing myself of that because I keep forgetting it. And I would say I've been a Christian now 25 years and still continually have to convince myself of that. So that's like big picture. Um and that would have been like throughout being Christian, just having to keep reminding myself that the gospel means that Jesus Christ loves his people and identifies with us and is not ashamed of us. Um, the The connection point to why I write a book about it was so the, the Hebrews 2.11 passage says that Jesus isn't ashamed to, to call us uh, brethren. And, and the background of that passage is Hebrews 2 is that, excuse me, Jesus is, the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, look, I want to show you how, to what depths Jesus took to come and be your savior. So 
I mean, this is the stooping, the, the condescension, the way in which he's come down to identify with us. Like he's even come down and become a man, you know, and to identify with us, not only in, to bear our sin, but to take, to take on humanity. And, you know, and I think it was Thomas Watson that said, you know, it's, it's a greater act of humiliation for um, God to become a man than for, man to, for, for Christ to die because it's common for a man to die, but uncommon for God to become a man. And so it's that, like that notion that God, God in Christ comes down into humanity. And so really pushing that forward and saying, okay, understanding that he's not ashamed of us and look at the incarnation, look at the death of Christ, and you can see that. But then I'd say the thing that really tripped in me saying, all right, I need to write a book on this, or at least I want to consider writing a book, is I was preaching through um, Genesis in my church about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And um, I got to Genesis um, 39, where you have, um, no, Genesis 39, Genesis 19, where you have the situation with, uh, in Lot's cave. And in that, in that passage, you have, um, obviously, it's a horrific scene. It's one of the worst scenes in the Bible, where you have, um, Lot's daughters get him drunk because after Sodom and Gomorrah, they think, you know, basically the um, it's over and they don't have any prospects for any children. So for their own preservation and whatever else they're thinking, they get their father drunk and he impregnates them and then they have children. And so I'm, pre I'm preaching that passage to my church. I am you know, getting ready to preach it all week. And I'm just banging my head up against the wall thinking, how in the world am I going to preach this passage? Like, I can follow the narrative. I can explain the story. But how am I going to connect this to Jesus in a way that's going to be meaningful uh, without it being just like a predictable, just kind of head fake to the gospel and Jesus died for sinners? Um, and then probably like Thursday or Friday, it hit me, uh, just kind of staring at the passage and thinking about it, that um, the one of the children that came out of Lot's daughters, uh, birthed from them, was the Moabites. And you you, scrap, you you chase those guys down throughout the Old Testament. And, you know, they're not good. Obviously, God is not happy with them. Very idolatrous, very pagan. Um, and, you know, even forbidden from coming around the Israelites. So you have this, this separate pagan. And then there's this horrible origin story. But then you track them down further and you see that there's that famous Moabitess named Ruth who makes her way onto the scene in, in the book named after her. And she's she's the one who becomes the grandmother of David and the great, 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 and so on, grandmother of Jesus, our Lord. He comes through and her name shows up in the genealogy. And so, you know, just kind of walking our church through that and explaining, like, look, this is, this is the story of Lot's cave. And, but look who comes out of Lot's cave. And so trying to talk through with our people about, you know, do you, do you have stories in your past where you are ashamed of them? Do you have things that people have done to you that you don't want anyone to know or that you've done to other people you don't want anyone to know? Things that have happened in secret that you don't want to do. You think those are disqualifying you for future use and service of the Lord. Do you think he's ashamed of you? Do you think he's blushing of you? Like go, go through the whole thing. Like just talk it out. And say, look what Jesus, look what God did out of Lot's cave. He brought the Savior of the world through the Moabites and through the Israelites, obviously, but the Moabites wrapped it in. And uh, 
he can definitely use you. He can use your broken, embarrassing, horrible story for his glory. And he can even, you know, take what starts out as a nightmare to, to fulfill dreams and longings. And so I just like just make an application of that. And then after the sermon, just a number of people want to talk about it. And it just became a steady stream of people thinking through that their past is something that Jesus knows about. And he even embraces that when he calls us to himself. And I found that to be something that I was like, well, maybe I need to think a little bit more about this, not only on the embarrassing stories, but maybe there's some other categories. And you just start thinking about them. And there's pretty soon you just see that Jesus is not ashamed of a lot of different types of people and just kind of work that out. And uh, so just thinking through that, reading the Bible, trying to get all the narratives that I can get into a, into a book to make it accessible and compelling for people. I just think that theme is really prevalent and really profound. And I was just hoping to get it out there to people so they'd be able to read it. Amen. And I have it ordered, so it has not come yet. <laughs> I'm going to get it and I'm going to read it. Um, it's on my to read list. <laughs> so, um, you know, people who are, you know, dealing with, um, you know, because those type of backgrounds can have some significant um, trauma. It could come with emotional pain. It could come with uh, maybe um, anger, uh, mixed feelings, uh, maybe guilt. Uh, possibly even regret um, to the point of even trying to erase it. Like maybe even consider some people consider suicide. Some people out there in the world change their last names and they move to a different city. You know what I mean? Some people move to a different country. That's how bad it is. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, so there's a lot of people and there's companies out there in the world, you know, that are in business that are tailored to these, to these people that are trying to, uh, change their lives, right? Change something about their lives or get away from some somebody or something, right? So what is um, the the message that you have for them um, when you can, when you bring in Jesus in particular? Do you use a certain passage that you hammer home other than Hebrews chapter two? Do you use like a parable? Um, what, what, what what aspect of of Jesus do you do you present? to to people who are you know hurting with guilt or something in their background yeah so that's what that's one of the things i was trying to do in the book is use narratives i find that narratives are uh, compelling for people and easy for people to grab onto um, maybe more so um, than something like from an epistle where you could state a truth so i'll state truths but i'll use the stories from the scriptures, mostly the New Testament, to communicate those. So, yeah, just pick a topic, right? If it's if it's shame, you got the woman at the well, right? So I want to. Talk, so every chapter, just I'll give you this. Every chapter probably has three to four narrative stories in it, uh, maybe more, uh, but at least three to four. And from the Old Testament, the New, under these kind of these headers of whether Jesus is not ashamed of those with embarrassing stories or people that opposed him or people that are weak or that are overlooked by society, right? So just pick whatever whatever category. And um, you just, just go in and there's tons of stories that occurred in real time where Jesus made his way to these people. So like um, take the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. So there's somebody that's you know trying to, I mean, She's living in denial. She's walking around saying, you know, she's married or uh, people assuming that she's married. 
she comes up, she's talking to Jesus, and he sees right through her, talks to her, lays it out plain, and you know, letting it letting her know who she is. And she comes back to him and like, you know, this is this is the one who told me everything about myself. And so so think about that. You have somebody that's trying to conceal her her life because she's guilty. And then she runs into Jesus who tells her everything about herself. So there is somebody out there that knows everything about you and he doesn't run from you. He comes to you. That's pretty profound. We're trying to run from our past and he runs to us. That's the incarnation. He comes to us. And then even more, if you think about uh, uh, well stories in the Bible, like what kind of stories happen at wells? You, someone, uh, you know, Jacob's uh, Abraham's servant going to find Jacob a wife. Um, even Moses around the well. Like there's these stories that are happening at the well tend to connect with getting a wife. So now here we have Jesus running around the well in John 4. And he's, in one sense, you could say, uh, he's looking for a wife too. It's called the church. And he's pursuing a part of his bride, part of his family is from Samaria, the Samaritan woman. And so he goes and picks her to be part of his family. That's a, I mean, look at this. She's trying to hide. He pursues. He knows the story and he comes to take her and, and, and makes her one of his followers. And she becomes, I think, if I'm not mistaken, she's the first um, non-Jewish evangelist in the, in the gospel accounts. And it's pretty remarkable. Um, and so he knows everything about her, yet he still pursues her. He preaches the word of God, the word of grace to her. He welcomes her to follow him. And then she prevails on him along with the rest of the town to stay. And he stays and teaches and evangelizes more people. So what, I mean, what would I say to somebody who's got guilt or shame? I mean, let's look at this, this woman in Samaria who has got a horrible past. And Jesus is not repelled by it, but he draws near to her. I mean, you could pick her, you could pick the sinful woman in Luke 7, right? You could just go through these stories of Jesus who's not repelled by sin or sinners, but who is drawn to them. And he's drawn to them not to congratulate us on our sin, but to, to rescue us out of our sin and transform us from it, because that's the kind of Savior that he is. And I think that's a universal message. Everybody, nobody wants to talk about it. People want to down, they want to hush it they want to hide it but here's jesus who knows us infinitely and yet still loves us intimately how does how that how, how can we have somebody like this so he's very unique in that way and i uh, would just want people to read the gospels and look at what jesus says and does powerful yeah that's probably one of the most things that comes to my mind now bring it to the church uh pastor eric uh people are sitting in the pews, pews every week, every every Sunday, and they're, they're they're dealing with these things. How can the pastor or the session or the board of elders, whatever you call it, how can they encourage these uh, people that have been dealing with guilt, anger? Um, they're they're you know they're dealing with regret or something. How can the church leadership encourage? Um, transparency or maybe you know it's okay to approach us and talk to us you know what i mean how can the church create that kind of culture within the pews you if you, if you could just elaborate maybe on some of that well i think what you're talking about is a gospel culture that comes comes out in the church there's probably a lot of practical things that a church could do to make that happen um so first and foremost preaching the gospel in a way that's not just a transactional emphasis on conversion, but actually showing 
how how far-reaching the gospel is and powerful and restorative in the heart of Christ. So I think that's that's something there is not just preaching for conversion, uh, though conversion's essential, but helping people to see the way in which the gospel answers all of the problems that we have. Uh, so that would be one, just in sermon preaching. The second thing I would talk about is making it somehow creating, emphasizing in the context of the church that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be a sinner because that's what we are. And you're fooling yourself if you think you're not a sinner. So what are we doing? Um, so one way is we do that at church with confession of sin and assurance of pardon. So we're trying to get the gospel in front of people as many times and as many ways as we can. So we would um, reflect upon a passage of scripture, talk about it, try to bring to mind areas that we sin. And so the assumption is we sin. And now how do we confess that sin to the Lord? So we do that. I think also trying to train and disciple people towards openness and community where we confess sin to one another and ask each other to forgive each other and to pray for each other and accountability. Uh, I think the Lord's Supper is another place where we examine ourselves before we take the table. And that's another opportunity there for transparency. Um, just even as the pastor, I mean, like if, if we're walking around acting like as a pastor that we don't sin or we're not, we're all perfect. That's probably not a good image. It's false. And that's not going to help a gospel culture in the church. So those are some things just off the top of my head that I, I think we've got we to do a better job of, uh, of trying to emphasize grace. And then if somebody wrongs us, right? So as a pastor, you're going to get, you're going to run into issues. Like don't respond in a, in a way that burns everybody down. I mean, try to be gracious and kind and, and help people and let have an opportunity to model the gospel in that way. So I think it's a lot of things that would just be taking the gospel we preach and putting it into into practice, which really looks like the second half of Ephesians, the second half of Colossians, much of Galatians, right? That's what ends up coming out. Now, what what would you what would you say to a, a young pastor who is maybe graduating from seminary this year or maybe next year, and they're about to jump into this to a pastor role perhaps and what would you encourage a young pastor um you know maybe a, a word or or two about this topic or, or or maybe what would you say to yourself 21 years ago as, as as a young christian knowing the things now what would you say to yourself maybe if that is better yeah i I don't know. I mean, I think there's been a, a kind of a, a word picture that's been floating around in my mind for, I don't know, for quite a while now. And just that I have amnesia with regard to the gospel. I forget it. Um, I remember Jerry Bridges years ago saying, you need to preach the gospel every day to yourself. I think that's true. I think remembering that and um, not only knowing truth, but delighting in the truth. I'm sure many people have said that as well. So I think it's very dangerous in this line of work as a pastor to just kind of um, become professional, like tour guides through the Bible, professional lecturers um, that can go through weeks and sermons without being affected by the gospel and the passage that we're preaching. I think that's incredibly dangerous. And I think that there's obviously times when there are things going on in the church or in your life when you might emotionally and even mentally be having a real hard time keeping everything straight. You might 
it just might be hard to, to see forward. But if it's becoming the disposition of your heart and soul that you're unaffected by Christ, that, that might be time to pull the car over and get a checkup. So keep getting, keep keep your eyes wet with joy in the gospel. Keep your heart broken with the work of Christ and continue to, to rejoice in the reality that you get to preach this word and help people. And so I just think it's first, you got to have it affect you first before it can affect anyone else. You're probably not going to be very useful long term. Amen. And that, you know, that takes like the Holy Spirit, obviously, you know, it's very, it's really hard to, to, to really change people when, when you, when, when, when you yourself is not, are not changed, right? Yeah. It's really yeah. hard to change the world when, when you are not changing, right? Uh, and, and we all go through up and ups and downs. You know what I mean? We all go through high seasons, low seasons, all those things are true. So I don't want right. to ignore those things, right? Uh, but, you know, we always have to preach the gospel. Charles Spurgeon once said that he always found a way to preach the gospel in his sermons. So, uh, you know, if your church is not preaching the gospel, um, then what, what are you doing, right? <laughs> why, why are you there for? Why, why yeah. are you preaching, not preaching the gospel? What happens to a church when it stops preaching the gospel? Or maybe think about this. Maybe you can enlighten us on some of these ideas of, what what is a gospel that that is uh, moralistic? What kind of gospel is preached that leaves people in despair? You know what I mean? There's people out there preaching the gospel, and then like they they leave people in despair because the gospel doesn't leave people in despair. It should leave people in hope. It should leave people um, with the good news and bad news, right? So, what, what kind of gospel is? A gospel that preaches only the bad news, only on on the law of God, and they never make it to the grace, right? Or sometimes they preach grace, but then they don't preach the law of God. They preach the good news, and they don't preach the gospel. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there, there sometimes is like an imbalance on both of those, both of those um, axes, right? You get the the law over here, you get the grace over there, but sometimes you get no grace. And all law, all morals, moralism, or like Michael Horton would say, the moralistic therapeutic gospel. So, what yeah. are your what, what are your thoughts about that um, to certain elders and pastors um, that are out there who are who are preaching an imbalance gospel? Yeah, I think I think it's human nature, right, to default to probably one or the other, depending upon what we're going through, right? Where you know, we you get frustrated and we just smash people with law. You need to be doing this, do better, try harder, be nice, be good. Um, or on the other side, licentious, you know, it's just downgrade sin. And uh, mm. so I think that's that's human nature. So recognizing that tendency would be would be wise. And also that we're, we, most people, unless you may be, a rare exception uh, people pleases so you really don't like to be sideways with people so if you got a church full of legalists legalism does sell, tend to go pretty well in the church and if you get a church full licentious people then not you know preaching license is helpful right so knowing that i think is 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 important and know that we can we can go there. i was just reading last week peter um you know peter and in the apostle paul i mean they had it out in galatians too and the issue was about not being straightforward about the gospel. So 
I think it's just like it needs to be something we always have to be looking at and have to be calibrated by what the Bible says. What does the scripture say? What is the gospel? Make sure we're not adding to or taking away from it. Um, I, I think one of the ways that I think it's it's really helpful to think about what we're preaching um, is is how God transforms us through the gospel. So like example, Second Corinthians chapter 3 talks about that we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. And that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there is a transformation that takes place through the power of the Spirit to make believers more like Jesus Christ. We're going to be transformed. And then you look at chapter 4, and Paul is talking about preaching the gospel, which is the, the, the preaching Christ without any shame. And he talks about the unbelievers who have their um, eyes blinded and they're not able to see the light of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ. So just putting those two passages together, kind of similar to what John Owen did, he made the point that when Christ is preached truly, people behold his glory. And it's that which the Holy Spirit uses, the proclamation of Christ, to transform people into Christ's likeness. So what is it then that we preach? Are we preaching condemnation simply are we preaching freedom without christ you have to preach christ so we want to preach his worth his glory and his greatness you want to preach his work what he's done if people aren't preaching the worth and work of christ then they're probably meandering off course uh, so i i take second corinthians 3 second corinthians 4 i want to make sure i'm preaching the the the, the absolute glory of christ and what he has done and his eternal um position as the son of god as as the second person of the trinity the incarnation his life his earthly ministry his death his burial his resurrection his ascension his uh session and then his coming return i want to preach all of it and show the glory of christ in his particular glory through that so i just think that there's so much in the new testament to preach on and if we're just preaching about don't do this do this i think we're missing a, a lot of what the gospel is and God help us, you know what I mean? Because uh, Paul also talks about, a, you know, a curse, you know, uh, uh, in Galatians, I think in uh, what chap uh, chapter one, I think verse six or something like that. He's talking about that cursed is anyone who yeah. comes in the name of Jesus preaching another gospel, whether it be a, an apostle, whether it be an angel preaching another gospel, cursed that man, right? Uh, anathema. Right. Uh, so it's, it's very serious, this issue about preaching the gospel, because the gospel is our hope. The gospel is the power to salvation. The gospel right. is who we are. Right. And, and and this is the whole thing. And and if people are dealing with guilt, they're dealing with, uh, you know, regret. The answer to that would be the uh, uh, another delivery of the gospel, like, a, hey, here's the gospel again. Right. Yeah. Here and a lot of people will be like, "Well, that's the, the basics. You don't want to give them the gospel too much because that gospel is elementary." I would tell that person, "The gospel is Christianity. The gospel is what makes Christianity. You take the gospel out of Christianity, you got no Christianity without the gospel." <laughs> so you need to give, you know, and and you know, all my biblical counselors out there, and I've talked about this one time with uh, Melody Joyhart, and you know, and she tells me that the gospel belongs in the counseling room. 
You should not take the gospel out of the counseling room. So you're counseling somebody, you're talking to somebody. The answer is always the gospel. Well, it's and, always the solution. I mean, what are you going to do with, you know, I mean, you can't tell anyone anything about what the solution is. You can tell people what's wrong, but mm. what's the solution apart from the gospel? Yeah. Right, right, right. So there's also another dynamic here, um, and I don't want to dodge this. Yeah, it's it's a reality. It's a reality in certain circles. Um, people have these regrets. They have these anger issues. They have this past that they're ashamed of, right? Yeah. And uh, they don't want to go to church, maybe because you know the church is judgmental. The church they have a notion, a stereotype, a, a thought process saying, believing. Hey, I don't want to go to that church or this church or any church because they're going to look at me. And once I tell them this, they're going to reject. Me. They're going to straight up close the door on me They're, you know, or maybe they'll never look at me the same. Right. So, well, you know, that's that's one dynamic that may be a, an extreme example. I'm sure that doesn't happen all the time. I have a fly in here. Somewhere. I'm sure that doesn't happen all the time. But I'm sure it does happen, and that's a reality. So what does um, the gospel say to that? Uh, what does the gospel say to that, you think? Yeah, I think that I mean, that's, I think that goes back to that question earlier. We were talking a little bit about the gospel culture, right? So people come, especially coming from a non-Christian background, we can't expect people to come in and just like get it and just jump, make the jump to light speed where everybody's on the same page. Probably not going to happen. Uh, but over time of, of watching Christians live um, with integrity in real community with grace towards one another and love towards one another uh, without like just if people sin and they're imperfect, they just throw them out of the church. I mean, that's they're actually seeing the gospel worked out in real life. Uh, we just had a, a, a guy give a testimony on Sunday night last week, and he was talking about in addition to the preaching of the gospel, one of the things that was very attractive to him as an atheist when he was coming around the church was that people people actually showed love to one another. And he hadn't seen that anywhere in, in the world that he had you know, encountered as an academic. Um, and so coming from a communist country, coming to the U.S., he, he saw that you know, people in the U.S. weren't absolutely like really nice going to the church, people actually cared about each other. And so that became an apologetic that came alongside a demonstration of the gospel that was also declared. And so I just think that as Christians, we got to remember that it's not only grace that gets us into heaven, it's grace that keeps us all the way to the end, you know? And so if that's one of the reasons I want to write this book, not just to say, okay, unbeliever, there's a savior that loves you, but also listen, church, look, we sin. And, you know, one of the chapters is, Jesus is not ashamed of those who still sin. And so, you know, walking through the Apostle Peter and the whole way in which the Lord dealt with him to show that the Lord not only doesn't cast us off, but he uh, pursues us in our sin. I mean, that's the whole point of church discipline. It's not a, it's not trying to get people out of the church. It's trying to keep people in. And that's the mm. Lord's love for his people. And so just letting people know that that's the heart of the Savior towards his church. He loves us. And it's not one of, of judgment. I think it was Packer that said all of God's um, actions are mediated through Christ's love towards the church. That's actually really beautiful to think about. 
talk about that since it's beautiful. It's a big topic. It's a big issue. Um, something that we forget, um, we take it for granted. We, uh, we don't think about it as often. Maybe we don't even talk about it as often in our houses, maybe in our churches. Um, just how big is the love of, of the father is to the son, right? Within the Trinity, how big is that? And then how does that reflect and trickle down to, to the love that they have, the Trinity, the Godhead has to to us, the, the church? Yeah, I mean, that's Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, right? That you would know, you'd be able to comprehend that which is incomprehensible, that the love of God in Christ, right? So you have this eternal, infinite love within the Trinity that overflows not only in creation, but in redemption. And the Apostle John could say in 1 John that we have fellowship with the Father and we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship together in, in this, this relationship with God uh, through Christ and with one another. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, we don't we don't get that. I mean, it's, it's not something we can just grab onto, you know. It's just like love is something that we just toss around all the time. Like it's a, a Nerf football or something. We don't think about it. We just grab it and throw it. And if we actually sat down and thought about it, that, that this love, um, this love of God, God's love towards his people was not triggered by anything I've done. It wasn't even triggered by anything that Jesus did. He, he loved us before the cross. The cross was the expression of his love, not the triggering of the love. So he, he loves us before the foundation of the world in Christ. He saves us and he's going to love us to the end. We just, we don't walk around thinking like that. Um, we qualify everything and try to make it sound like it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. And we've got to remember it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, real quick, where can people find your book? Uh, what are the last things you want to let people know about your book um, before we would um, wrap this up? Yeah. So I think just maybe just the top, as far as finding it, right? Like Amazon, it's got it, you know, the uh, the audio the book. I actually read the audio book, which is the first time I've ever done that. So I went up to Crossway and read it. So the audible version is uh, an unprofessional book reader uh, reading it. So, uh, but the benefit is I love that it, books, bro. I love audiobooks. You know, oh, good. I, I love downloading, I love going audible and I download some stuff every month. Uh, it's one of my favorite forms of media. This past couple of years is audiobooks. Yeah, I love it That's too. Sure. It's one of my favorites. So, the detriment is, is it's not a professional, but the benefit is it's in Bostonian. So you get that. <laughs> uh, the uh, <laughs> you know obviously Amazon, Westminster Books, stuff like that. They have it. Uh, as far as what I would want people to take out of this, like it is a it is a weighty, heavy subject, but it's not inaccessible, right? So I wrote this book thinking about you know our church family which is a very diverse community and we have people that are at mit we have people that are brand new to this country we have a lot of people where english is not the first language and mm -hmm. i wanted my church to be able to read this it, it it's in english right so but read it in english knowing that for yeah. some people it means you're going to read slower and have to think and it's not going to be difficult like it's not a hard read and i want mm -hmm. people to see the greatness of christ um, there is, you know, there's, there's quotes and references that can take you deeper if you want to go. That's fine. But the book was intended to be read 
like uh, individually in a discipleship context, small groups um, do it. So I would just say, pick it up, read it, re read it as a devotional, and then uh, maybe read it with somebody else. I mean, my kids have read it, you know, 10 year old, an 11 year old now and a 13 year old and then the bigger kids. Oh, wow. So it's not, it's not something that's inaccessible. And uh, I would just hope people would come away with the, the image that Jesus is not ashamed of his family tree. He loves his people. He not only came for sinful people, but to make the point, he came from sinful people. Everybody in that genealogy is a mess. And he, he made those people be his genealogy to make a point. He's not ashamed of us. So I want people to get Amen. that. Amen. Amen. So hopefully we don't be ashamed of him. You know what I mean? That's oh, the dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we uh, we prone to wonder. Sometimes we, we get cold. Uh, you know what I mean? So sometimes we are ashamed of Jesus. When Jesus is not ashamed of us, it's like, wow, that's a huge dynamic. That's a huge factor that Jesus is not ashamed of us. But sometimes we are. But we, See, I, are pray everybody, I pray everybody less shame. Go ahead. The last chapter in the book is the people Jesus is ashamed of. So it's a little bit of a twist. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Get, get, give us a, a non-spoiler review of that chapter real quick. He spe Jesus specifically says in the gospel of those whom he is ashamed or will be ashamed on the last day. Ooh. No, let's, let's, let's be on the, let's, let's be on uh, unashamed for Christ, right? Absolutely. Let's pursue Absolutely. Christ. Let's let's uh, lean into the kingdom, like Jonathan Edwards once said. Let's lean into the kingdom. Um, you know, let's uh, show compassion to those who are needing yeah. compassion. Let us think about those who are traumatized. Let us think, you know, because if you don't understand what that is, then maybe you know, maybe, maybe we should do is just talk to them, like acknowledge, acknowledge them. Uh, invite them over for dinner, buy them a cup of coffee or tea or whatever. Just show them love in, in, a, in, in a way that that you, they, you're letting them know that you're there, um, even though you never experienced it maybe, uh, but maybe showing them some type of uh, courtesy or generosity or something, letting them know that you are still there through that, like a token, token of love, you know what I mean? And not yeah. writing them off. No, and then you, you know you're pointing out for the one who's able to sympathize with them in their weakness, right? And that, that's Christ. Because, because Christ um, sympathized with us. He loved us before we loved him. Like, he loved us when we were wretched. You know what I mean? Like, it's not fair for Jesus to die. Sacrifice, right? That's what I told my son today about the gospel when I was trying to explain some stuff to him. The, the idea of the sacrifice for Christ is that, like I was trying to explain it to my seven-year-old. I was like, it's not fair, huh? It's not fair that Jesus had to die, right? He didn't have to die. It's not fair for him to die, but he did it, right? Mm -hmm. You know? So I was like, sacrifice is not fair sometimes. And a lot of the times it's not. And, and we, we, you know, we got to be careful not to murmur when we mm -hmm. sacrifice. Because I was like, did Jesus murmur? He probably, he probably didn't, right? He didn't go like, oh, I hate you, Roman soldier. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> he prayed. He's like, Lord, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing, right? right. And th that's just, like mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, amen. Um, for those who are listening, I pray you get the book. I'm gonna get it. So uh, check out the audiobook. I, I, you know, actually, I might even um, get the audiobook as well. Uh, so um, real quick, I appreciate everybody checking this out. 
Uh, God bless. Uh, subscribe to uh, my YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at the Chicano Knox. And I appreciate everybody once again. God bless. And Sola Christus, Sola Deo Gloria. Amen. Thank you for listening to Bible Theory. Don't forget to share this with your homies. Support Bible Theory on Patreon. Follow me on Twitter at the Chicano Knox. Like and subscribe to Bible Theory on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and more. Gracias por escuchar Bible Theory. No olvides a compartir esto con tus homies. Apoya Bible Theory and Patreon. Sígame en Twitter and the Chicano Knox. Dame un like y suscríbete a Bible Theory and Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio y más.